Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. This podcast is about sharing strategies and ideas to help business owners build, protect, and transition their businesses for the future while creating more balance in their life. Your host is Thomas J. Perone, CLU, CIC, and president of the New England Consulting Group of Guilford Incorporated, consulting business owners for over 50 years. Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth. Hi, I'm Tom Perone, and I'm your host. And this podcast is all about learning strategies to build your business, to create greater profit, but to create also an abundance of leisure time so you can enjoy what you're building. Today, we have a wonderful guest, and I would like to introduce to you Paul Hood. Welcome to Building and Protecting your business worth, Paul, second time around on the podcast. Welcome. Well, thanks, Tom. Glad to be back. Uh, I always enjoy our, our time together. Um, you, you've, you've become a, a very, very good friend and, and, and a trusted uh, advisor. And uh, glad to be here today to talk about a very, very important subject. Well, yes, it was when you sent me the book to look at and I started reading it, uh, my wife and I, um, uh, really looked at this and said, having uh, stepkids and stepwives and all that stuff and going through this, uh, I never thought really as a, a planner, it was such a big deal because that's how my mind works. But as I was going through this book, um, which is the name of it, by the way, is Yours, Mine and Ours, uh, Paul just wrote, and I'll get into that in a second. I just want to say from a personal perspective, uh, I was enthralled throughout the book. My wife read it and uh, said, hey, when we do Paul's podcast, these are the questions I want him to talk about. And we're going to we're going to focus on that a little bit. But um, if you don't know Paul Hood, I could sit here for 10 minutes and tell you his background. He would be embarrassed. Um, but if you go to paulhoodservices.com, you'll read all about this intriguing guy and it says it all on his front page. He's a guy that is great, a, a great humanitarian. He loves people. He loves fairness. He's a team player. He's got a lot of passion. But most importantly about Paul, as bright as he is, he's a great writer. He wants to have estate planning and planning done the fair way and all the members of that planning uh, 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 recipients in, and treated fairly. And you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about when you go up there. Secondly, Paul's got a great blog. He's got a lot of good books to look at. And Paul, you know how I feel about you, about the books. I've often said publicly that Paul Hood is the best technical writer in the country, maybe the world, because he peels back the onions and he talks about things that people don't talk about. And on this subject, long when did I know, but there's a lot to say about you, Paul. Yours, mine, and ours. Paul was writing about blended families 25 years ago, and this book is going to be the classic. So, Paul, congratulations on the book. Well, thanks a lot, Tom. And, and, and again, um, uh, you contributed a very, very uh, uh, nice, uh, flattering blurb that's on the dust jacket of the hardback version of the book. And I appreciated your taking the time, and not only you're taking the time to read to, to read the book, but, but your wife taking the time 
and, and for your feedback uh, coming from a blended family uh, yourself, um, you know, it, it makes a difference when you've when you've been through it. And, you know, I have, you know, you know, had my own blended family. Um, so, you know, I, many of the issues that um, that I address, you know, I've dealt with personally. And um, really what got me, Tom, to, to start focusing on the unique problems of the blended or step family couple in estate planning was that I found in my practice, and this was, like I said, over 25 years ago, that they were consistently my most challenging client because I found that the traditional uh, modes of, of estate transfer for single relationship couples where the couple shares uh, the children or descendants often don't work real well in the blended family context without significant modifications. And in fact, if those modifications aren't made, can absolutely be downright dangerous and ill-advised. So that, that, that's really what motivated my study. And, and then to, to, when I went looking for professional help on the subject, figured somebody smarter than me had written about it, nobody had. Um, just very, very little, um, uh, you know, from my profession law um, about the subject. So, uh, you know, today, you know, my book is really the second book on the market, you know, the, the NOLO Press book that Richard Barnes wrote um, uh, was published in 2009. And Richard's book is, is, not, is not a bad book. Um, it's certainly much better than the, than the NOLO Press buy-sell agreements book, which, you know, really isn't worth buying. Uh, but Richard's book is more about general estate planning with some discussion of the nuances of blended family planning. My book, I was a real slave to sticking to really, really unique uh, blended family issues because there are tons of them. So that's kind of where, 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 where I, how I got started with it and, and, and what my focus was. Well, you know, the interesting, uh, what, I love chapter two, which was all Paul Hood, because you do this also in your other books, but you're, you have... Uh, a real desire to get the human side of a state plan. Paul, talk about that. Well, to me, Tom, the human side of estate planning is the most important side. You know, I divide estate planning, Tom, really into um, what I call the bricks and mortar of estate planning. Estate planners tend to stick to what I call the bricks, um, the, the vehicles, uh, the techniques, uh, things like that, where I tend to think more about the mortar that holds those bricks together. Because you and I both know we can stack bricks all day long, but if we don't have them mortared together, you know, at the first um, tension, you know, even if somebody comes up and just kicks the, the pile, that kicks the wall, you know, the, all the bricks come tumbling down. And that's what happens in, in too many estate plans in, in, in this country um, because 
there was an overfocus on the bricks and not enough on the mortar. So I, I maintain that there is a, 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 a quantitative side of estate planning and there is a qualitative side. And I tend to spend most of my time on that qualitative side, which I, I call the human side of, of estate planning. And, you know, so, and the, I'm going to skip over here, Paul, because I was reading again last night. And in I think it's cha- I can't remember chapter uh, 12. Maybe it is. I can't remember. But actions for success. And this is typical of what you do when you peel back the onion, as I always say, with your writings is you gave them a plan of action. Uh, you know, so in other words, you read the book, you get a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff they don't understand, but they're still trying to get through it. They've heard the words, the terms, uh, they know your philosophy, but now how do you put it all together? And your advice is, uh, you know, set a date. I love that. I love the idea. Let's set a date now and let's set a date for 16 weeks, 13 chapters and three buffer weeks. And let's get this done and going through every chapter and, and listing some of the questions. So what you did in that book was prepare them. So when they have the meeting with that attorney, that th- this is not new to them. I, I thought that was great. It was great. Um, and, and, you know, Paul, that's the other thing, because we've talked about this uh, practitioners in many cases, overstate the, and focus on estate taxes and estate planning and distribution of property, but not that human side. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, once again, Tom, there's an article on my website that Trust and Estates named when I wrote it for them. It's really my beliefs and philosophies about estate planning, which was the title that I gave them. But they changed it to 32 core principles. And I hated the the title that they assigned to my article. But I am a firm believer that an estate planner should have a set of beliefs and philosophies about estate planning. And, And how I came around that, and Tom, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but when I was 36, and I was a sole pra- I was a brand new sole practitioner. And you know, going out on your own at 36, you know, you got to be an eternal optimist. But I was swamped with business. And, and I knew that I was going to be good uh, on my own because I was supporting myself in a law firm, even though I wasn't a full equity partner yet. Okay. Um, so I get contacted by this elderly, um, by the actually one of the financial advisors, one of the investment advisors, of this elderly, um, uh, uh, never married spinster in her early to mid, actually, I think she was 93 when I, when I came into her life. And uh, she was an heiress and had a lot of money and hadn't done any estate planning at all. And so um, he's like, look, you got to go meet with her uh, at her house. Uh, she's, she's homebound. And of course, you know, I, I didn't mind doing that. In fact, I preferred making house calls to clients rather than have them come to me because they're usually nervous in, in somewhere place else. I found the clients were better 
when they were in their home familiar surroundings. So I show up at this house and it's out in the country in, in uh, 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 way, uh, a few miles out of New Orleans. It's an antebellum home. And uh, uh, one of her house staff uh, uh, answers the door and, and receives me and sticks me in the parlor to wait for her. And, and I figured out, you know, between her showing up and everything else, she's got, you know, a house staff of probably five. And she's the only person living there as far as I know. And I think the house had like 17 bedrooms. It was just a typical old plantation home. Yeah. So they, they wheel her in. She's in a wheelchair. Um, uh, I give her... I give her name as a pseudonym, although the, it, it, there's a there's a, a bit of truth to it. I call her Hattie Lee Higginbotham, but she was a descendant of Robert E. Lee. Okay, and she always reminded you that she was from the Virginia Lees, not Virginia, Virginia Lees. <laughs> so she comes in, and I'm like, I look at her. And and I'm like, okay, I'm good with with elderly ladies. Uh, you know, this this will be a piece of cake. Well, this lady, absolutely. Um, I was I was the the clothesless emperor. She comes in firing. She goes, Sonny boy. She goes, I don't have much time left. She says, I need your best advice on where to start. And she said, buy, buy, buy your best advice, Sonny Boy. And that's what she called me. She goes, I need to know the advice that you'd consider to be so important that you'd give it on your deathbed. She goes, let's start with your best advice, Sonny Boy, and we'll work backward from there. She goes, what's your best advice, Sonny Boy? Well, I start stammering into an answer, you know, and I thought I knew it all, Tom. But I quickly learned that I didn't know anything. And I stammered through an answer, and this is ultimately what I told her, that, that apparently made enough sense for me to, to, to stay in the house. I told her that her estate planning decisions were going to affect the relationships of, of her surviving family members. And they could be adverse. I mean, they, they could be bad effects or positive effects. I said, but her decisions were going to impact the relationships of those who survived. But after that, and, and like I said, it, it, that satisfied her. And, and I ended up working with her. She died at like 98 or 99. Okay. And we were able to do her estate plan. It didn't ultimately be that, that complicated because most of it went to charity and it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was a huge estate. I mean, it was, it was well over $10 million. But like I said, because of the size, I think like 85% of it went to charity. It was almost zero estate tax. Okay. Well, and, that well, let, let me let me just let yeah. me finish this and then and then and then you you can go from there. Sure. That's when I decided that I needed to write down to articulate and, and write down on one sheet of paper. I'm a big one sheet guy, one page guy my beliefs and philosophies, and I maintain that. And that Trust in the States article is essentially the uh, expansion 
of those of that of that it's on two, it's in two columns and I can I'm it's it's on my LinkedIn page. Um, but uh, uh, the bottom line is, is that's what that trust in the states article essentially does is is explain why the each bullet point each of those thirty two core principles as trust in the states called them uh, were important. So anyway, I, I I yield the balance of my time. Yeah, no, I, I, what makes me, I never heard that story, Paul, but here's my question. Did that just come out because of the situation you were in? In other words, that, that, that statement you made to her, was that just, just out of your, out of your mouth without thinking, or did you had, you been thinking about that question? No, no, that was brand new, Tom. Wow. Yeah. Tom, when, when she asked me the question, I had nothing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I stand, I was like, what, what can I say? You know, I was like, well, let's talk about tax savings. No, that ain't important. You know, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the guy who, who actually arranged for me to go told me, well, you know, most of her state's going to charity. So, so I don't, you know, um, you know, I think a lot of this is going to be you running interference with these, you know, uh, uh, nieces and nephews and and great nieces and great nephews, you know, who have expectations on her wealth. They're going to be, it's going to be you running interference uh, with them. Wow. So, so, so the bottom line was when she told me, what's your, what's your last best advice, Sonny boy? Um, uh, you know, that's, and in fact, one of the chapters in this, in the book, is my last best advice because I wrote it in the, in the form of an article that ended up being, you know, I think it's chapter 12 in the book. Yeah, it is. It's last chapter 12. Yes. And so in 2,500 words or so, I give my last best advice in that book, in that chapter. And, and yeah, you know, let's come back to this. Uh, Cause I, I, you know, I've read your articles, pretty much all of them, and it makes a lot of sense because there is a human side. I mean, I've been in, like you, Paul, I've been in many interviews with people talking about their estate planning over many years. Um, and and that that resonates with me uh, because it, it does involve everybody, you know. Uh, it doesn't give everybody a right, but it does involve everybody in one way or another. But, Paul, what is the biggest mistake you see people make in blended families? In their estate plan, I believe the biggest mistake, Tom, and this is not only in blended family planning, but in in estate planning for for single relationship couples, and that is the failure to do any intergenerational communication between the givers and the receivers. I think that that many times people people don't want to discuss that. Okay, and I believe that the failure ends ends up the what what ends up happening is you get people who who don't get what they expect, okay, or don't get it in the way they expect it, and they automatically assume the worst, and they go to what I call the parade of horribles, and they take it out on. Their siblings are their their uncles or aunts, and they split the family. 
Now, sometimes it spills over and it becomes actual estate and trust litigation, which is the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had, Tom, I've had grown, very successful, I mean, multi, multi millionaire uh, business owners uh, break down. Uh, I was usually in their offices when they did, but start crying about, and these are proud, you know, leaders of the community, you know, but, but, and what was, what were they crying about? Their parents who were worth a fraction of what they were worth left them less than they left their siblings, but didn't explain it to them. Didn't tell them why. And, and these, these clients, you know, believe that, you know, they didn't get treated equally. So maybe mom and dad didn't love them as much. I mean, these affect, that's why I say that, 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 that your estate plan and my estate plan is going to impact the relationships of the survivors. And, and in, in, in both of the cases that I'm thinking about of these people, I mean, it was obvious that that the parent, what the parents had to give them wouldn't have mattered at all in their, in their net worth. Okay. But it wasn't about the Prince of Pal AL. It was about the Prince of Paul LE. Mm-hmm. And it was the love scoreboard. And uh, I said, you know, I said, what a, what a, what a, what a tragedy. Had the parents simply written the son a note or a letter or explained it in the will or, or better yet, had a communication. This is what we're doing, and this is why. I believe that if people had that communication, and planners don't force their clients to do it. I used to force them to do this all the time. And I believe that it cuts down on post. It, it, first of all, it makes administration of the estate much easier, okay? Mm-hmm. But secondly, it also minimizes litigation. Because let's say you've got somebody who um, believes they're going to get something, and in the end, uh, they're not. I believe they are better told that while the person is alive from the person's mouth. So they have a chance to process it while they're alive and and come to peace with with it. If they find out at the reading of the will, you know, the, the, the proverbial reading of the will, and, you know, they don't get anything. They go to what I called the parade of horribles. Yeah. They're like, oh, there was undue influence. Um, uh, she did, she wasn't in her right mind. She's, you know, had lack of capacity. And people end up suing over this stuff. And, and you know, Paul, you're, you're right, because the if you go back a couple of generations, maybe not so long ago, parents did not t- discuss any of their finances with their kids. So we're the byproduct. We're the kids that our parents never talked about. But now that we're professionals and have gone through this, you make a lot of sense because you're right. They get to process. It doesn't mean you have to change uh, what you're going to do in the estate, but the communicating of what you're going to do, whether they like it or not, it's a whole different ballgame, but it doesn't mean you're going to change what you want to do. But at oh, least. No, 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 no. Well, well, Tom, Tom. Estate planning, and I tell clients, is I used to tell them this all the time, it's not a democracy. These yeah. people don't get a vote, okay? But if you tell them 
they at least can 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 expect know what know what to expect, and, and better yet, know why it's being done. A- absolutely, um, Paul. Here's a here's a scenario that you've run across. I've run across. And it's people that think because they got a will done, they've done estate planning. Can you discuss that? Well, well yeah. Um, first of all, um, a will isn't everything that a person needs, okay? Because the will might transmit their probate property. But today's world, Tom, most people have more non-probate property than probate property. And the will only governs the probate property. You've got to look at the whole panoply of joint tenancy property, you know, if it's real estate, or pay on death accounts, transfer on death securities accounts, life insurance, retirement plan, and IRA beneficiary designations. These are all very, very important. Um, uh, so no, a will usually is, is insufficient. And not only that, but the will doesn't help out with during life planning, which you may need to consider a power of attorney, uh, healthcare and property or financial powers of attorney, as well as, you know, a living will or a, an advanced care director. Um, so yeah, it, it's, um, uh, it's it, a will is 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 in is insufficient in in in, in almost a hundred percent of the cases. And, and Paul, what what would you say are the three key elements of a successful state plan? Well, um, I believe that first, um, the communication piece, uh, I believe, is is critical. You know, the communication, the intergenerational communication between givers and receivers. And I believe that the second most important component is, is um, accurate documents that clearly reflect the client's intention, not the drafting lawyer's intention, not the drafting lawyers, you know, plan, you know, which which would they, they usually draft these plans to make administration of the estate easier for them. Okay, um, not that. All right, um, but the the documents, the the client needs to be in control of the planning process, and and too often um, 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 they're not. And, 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 and that's why many clients procrastinate before they, before they sign documents, if they sign them at all, um, because they're not convinced that what is in the document is, 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 is what they want. You know, it's not their plan. It's the lawyer's plan. And, and you know, interesting in your book, Paul, and I come back to the, uh, the putting it all together chapter. That's the chapter I was talking about, number 11, and where you give them an action plan to put their thoughts together in all of these chapters so that when they walk through that door to meet that attorney, this is not new to them. They're not, you know, they're not blinded sighted. They've got knowledge through this book, which is well written 
Um, and I think that is the greatest um, advice you could give to people because, as you know, and I know, Paul, they don't give this a second thought until it's brought up and, and there's no planning for it. They don't have an education on it. Um, Paul, um, <clears throat> what are the biggest fears when it comes to estate planning for people? Well, it's interesting you, you, you asked that because I actually did uh, – some some actual clinical research with psychiatrists, which wasn't easy to do. This was probably close to 25, almost 30 years ago. And because of the model rules of professional conduct that, that govern lawyer ethics, and particularly confidentiality, uh, it's often difficult to, to engage or to involve in the planning process someone who is who is not a lawyer because the communications with that person aren't covered by the attorney-client privilege. But we found some willing souls who were, who were able to participate in our process. And I figured out, Tom, that the whole idea of client fear was real. And I identified 12 distinct fears. See, many estate planners believe that when a client is slow to to sign documents or to get back to them or even to come in. It's all about the fear of contemplating their own mortality. But what I figured out was it's far more complex than that, Tom. That's one of 12 distinct fears. And guess, and one of the things I figured out was they fear us. They fear us. They fear losing control of the process and, and the plan ends up being reflecting someone else's intent, um, not theirs. So um, that's really, um, and then I'd say that the third element that, I mean, so, so you know, going back, you know, good communication, uh, documents that reflect the client's um, true intent, okay? The third element is the follow-through. Too often people draft an estate plan or even let's say they use a revocable living trust as the basis. And I never did that as a planner. It wasn't common in Louisiana. Obviously in California, you know, we would do it that way as, you know, as a matter of course and, and writing a will only out there because of their uh, complex probate laws. Um, you don't want to go through probate in California. But the laws, the probate laws of both states are, are pretty streamlined today. But if you're going to use something like a revocable trust, you got to put your assets into the revocable trust during lifetime. And a lot of times in the estate planning, um, the follow through is missed. Uh, you see it as a life insurance agent. People forget to update their beneficiary designations from their parents to their spouse or from spouse one to spouse two. And then they die, and guess we we figure out that their ex-wife is the beneficiary of the life insurance. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and good luck getting that spouse to surrender the proceeds. I, and I was able to do it a couple times, but usually not. I can't tell you how many Schedule A's I saw blank on the on the original document, never to be updated, 
So you're absolutely right, Paul, the follow through by both the client and the attorney. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, now, now. Yeah. yeah. Follow through in general. I have one last question. Uh, first of all, I'm just going to say this before I, I ask this question. Um, in this book, what I saw was uh, maybe the first type of writing that that people who are blended families or families to do estate planning that brought you step by step by step communicated clearly simplified this is a this is a how-to book paul more than just an informational book it really is a how-to if you have a blended family how to start the process and what topics to start discussing in between the the, uh, the the parents and the spouses. So it was well written. And I'm going to say, if you're a blended family, pick it up, read it. If you're not, read it anyways. If you're a professional, you're losing out on an awful lot of information that Paul Hood brought out in this book. But Paul, here's my question. Um, what... What would be your uh, your if I had clients who had blended families and often asked my advice, what would be a piece of advice for a blended family in estate planning that you would give? Well, I believe that. Um, first piece of advice is is to be honest with each other. OK, and, and there there are some situations, Tom, that couples in blended families go in and they want to just use one lawyer. Okay. But, and I was always suspicious. Okay. And I just had a healthy suspicion about this. Um, there are signs. And I call them uh, 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 guideposts when people really need to be separately represented by different lawyers. And, and one of the classics for me I absolutely refused, Tom. I had a policy against it, um, and some people didn't understand it, but it was this. If, if you um, had a prenuptial agreement, that meant that you had a lawyer representing you at one time looking at the prenup. If the couple came in and said they had a prenup, I'd say, I can't work with both of you. You know, y'all can decide whether I can represent one of you uh, uh, or, or maybe I don't represent either one of you. But because if it was and usually they discuss the the estate plan in the prenuptial agreement. And I believe that if they if they felt it was important enough to do that, then they need to be represented by separate counsel. So I think be realistic, you know, sort of in closing, be realistic about um, the representation. Because in my experience, Tom, the seeds of malpractice are sown in the initial client interview. And often it is a, it is a determination by a lawyer that they can represent adequately the interests of a husband and wife in a blended family when there are actual conflicts. So... Yeah, no, good advice, Paul. And, and in the book, there is a, a chapter about the estate planning team and how to pick them. And I think that's a very important chapter. And uh, so, Paul, we're out of time, but I want to tell the audience that they need to go up to Paul Hood Services, one word, dot com. 
look around, look at Paul's blog, get the, uh, well, you got the books up there. He's got a ton of books and um, take a look there. But this, this is a wonderful book, yours, mine, and ours. And uh, it's on the market now, Paul? Yes, it is. Now, where can people get this book, Paul? Well, I believe that it's available at, at all of the major booksellers. Oh, okay. uh, I know it's available at Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble and and, and and many others. So yeah, it's available. Um, I have a link on my website that I think it will it will take you to the Amazon site. Um, but there are other places to buy the book. And uh, um, I guess I guess really, Tom, and you know, sort of in in closing, um, I wrote this book for for the people. Okay, if you look at my dedication, I wrote it for the people who strive for what I describe in some detail in the book as the good estate planning result. And uh, it's a it's a tough thing to achieve, Tom. And I have a model in the book that explains why. And an article on my website that goes into far greater detail about why the good estate planning result is so hard to get. Yeah. Um, so it's it's more difficult than than it, than it appears uh, at first blush. Yeah, and it, that that has been uh, the way you've operated in your planning, and that's that fairness side of it and understanding side of it. Paul, you know, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I want to thank you for coming on and spending your time. And you know, Paul, we have another show to do, and those are that thirty nine questions we talked about. Um, well, you, you know, whenever you want me, I, I'm around. Just let me know. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Tom. And, and thanks to your audience. You're welcome. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. It was a good show today. And uh, if you would help us out by subscribing, click a like. Uh, if you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like to share with us, please email me at tperone. That's P-E-R-R-O-N-E at N-E-C-G-G-I-N-C dot com. And if you are a business owner or you know business owners that would like to participate on our show, certainly let me know. We certainly welcome everyone who is a business owner to help people out there that are running businesses with great ideas and strategies to make them successful. So again, thanks for tuning in. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Whenever you're ready to grow and protect your business while creating more balance in your life, here are three steps you can take. One, subscribe to this podcast. To request a free copy of Tom's newly published book, Unlocking Your Business DNA, email Tom at tperone at necgginc.com. Dot com And on the subject line, type DNA. Include your mailing address. And thirdly, take the one-minute scorecard and report to see how efficient you are in your business planning. Email tperone at necgginc.com and request scorecard. For additional information, click the show notes.